As humans, we long to know what happens when we die. We all want to believe that there is something more than this mortal life. Uh, And that's been true throughout history. Uh, Anthropologists have uh, found the graves of um, prehistoric people, the Neanderthals, from 100,000 years ago. And uh, in their graves, their bodies were painted with ochre, and they were buried with clothes and with tools and with decorative shells. Uh, It seems that they believed there was something beyond the grave. A similar record for Homo sapiens from 30,000 years ago, the first humans. And today, every world religion has some concept of life beyond death, whether it's the heaven and hell of Christianity and uh, Judaism and Islam, or whether it's the reincarnation that Sikhs and Buddhists and Hindus believe in. We all long for something beyond this physical and temporary existence. We long for something beyond death. And so that's where our sermon is going to take us today. We're thinking about what happens when we die and whether we can trust the story we've been told about life and death and especially the Christian story. So why don't we pray that God would speak to us now as we open the Bible. Our Heavenly Father, help us to hear you now, to hear your word and to believe what it says. Teach us why the resurrection of Jesus is fundamental for the Christian faith. We pray this in the name of the risen Saviour. Amen. Well, I'm always interested to know what the world thinks about Jesus. So I searched up some statistics uh, about the beliefs of Americans, and this is what I found. Uh, 87% of Americans believe in God, and 92% of Americans believe that Jesus was a real person. Well, the other two are a bit more interesting. 66% of all Americans believe in the bodily resurrection of Jesus. That's way more than I thought. And 48% of the of the population, however, almost half of all Americans believe that the Bible is mythological rather than true stories. It's an interesting mix of beliefs, isn't it? There is a God and there, is a, there was a Jesus, but we can't really trust the story that we have recorded in the Bible. People are suspicious about the story of Jesus in the Bible. And probably when you think about your neighbours and your work colleagues, that might ring true for them or for other people you know. I was actually surprised uh, that so many Americans say they believe in the resurrection. Uh, Back in Australia, um, that number is way smaller. Um, Where I come from, only 21% of the general population believes in the resurrection. And and overall, there's much less belief in God than here in the US. But on the whole, I'm not surprised by the results. And it makes me wonder, if that's what the world believes, does the same kind of thinking creep into our church circles? You see, I think 100% of us would say that we believe in the Creator God, and 100% of us would say that we believed in uh, the the historical Jesus, that he was a historical person who lived in Palestine in the first century and was crucified on a Roman cross. But would 100% of us be completely certain that Jesus rose from the dead? I'm not sure that we would. And would 100% of us be convinced that the Bible is completely reliable as a source of finding out about Jesus and God, I'm not sure. So I want to focus on the resurrection today so that as a church we can be sure what the Bible says, but also so that we can have certainty about what happens when we die. Well, I've never met a dead person who came back to life. Uh, I don't think so anyway. I'm wondering if there's anybody here today who uh, 
who's come back from the dead, somebody who's died and, and come back to life. Um, I know from operating theatres, it's quite normal for hearts to stop and then for people to be uh, revived, I guess, or for the heart to start again. And I think in heart surgery, that's a routine procedure. But that's probably not what we're talking about when we think about the resurrection of Jesus. And then there's uh, people who fall into frozen rivers. Uh, particularly, there's a, a number of cases of children where they've drowned in a very cold river and been underwater for up to 40 minutes. And then they've been warmed up and come back to life again. Uh, but normally, dead people don't come back to life. Uh, they die, and we say goodbye to them, and we never see them again. And I think that's for us why it's so hard to imagine a resurrected Jesus. It was hard for the disciples, even those closest to Jesus. The disciple Thomas is a classic case, a doubting Thomas, we often call him. He just couldn't believe that Jesus had come back from the dead. You see, Jesus had appeared to Mary first of all, and then he'd appeared to all of the disciples, but not Thomas. And then the disciples had told Thomas that they'd seen Jesus, but Thomas couldn't believe it. Thomas said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and I put my finger where the nails were and I, and I put my hand into his side, I will not believe it. John 20, 25. And I think a lot of us are like Thomas. It's too hard to imagine somebody coming back from the dead. It just doesn't seem possible, maybe even for Jesus. But do you remember what Jesus did next? A reading from John 20, 26. A week later, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. And though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them. And he said, peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. It's John 20, 26 to 28. Um, well, we understand Thomas, don't we? Uh, we want to see and touch Jesus, just to be sure for ourselves, uh, to get a picture in our mind of uh, what the resurrection looks like in the flesh. You know, after all, Jesus had appeared in the middle of a locked room. What kind of body can do that? Well, he wasn't a ghost uh, because Thomas was able to touch his body. And another time we read in the Gospel of Luke that Jesus ate a piece of fish uh, in front of the disciples, as if to show that his body was real and true flesh. That's Luke chapter 24. They got to see Jesus and touch him. But we don't, do we? We don't get to see and touch the resurrected Jesus for ourselves. And you know what Jesus says? He says, we shouldn't have to. He says this to Thomas. He says, because you have seen me, you've believed but blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed, John 20, 29. See, Thomas only believed because he'd seen Jesus. But Jesus says we're blessed even if we haven't been able to see him, if we believe. And I guess that's faith, right? A lot of people would call it blind faith, a believing in something you cannot see. But do you know what? We are actually in the same boat as Thomas was during the week before Jesus appeared to him. Uh, we have the testimony of witness after witness uh, that Jesus rose to the flesh. And the question is, do we believe them? I went to school with some inc incredibly intelligent boys. I went to a boys' school, uh, and they were skeptical too, especially once I became a Christian. Uh, there was one guy who was particularly scathing about the historicity of the Bible. 
And he made a lot of fun of me when I became a Christian. And I remember one of his big problems with the Bible was this. He believed that the Bible we have today was passed down by uh, word of mouth over centuries, uh, just like the game telephone, so that the message we receive today is nothing like the original message. For him, the Bible was just a book of myths, uh, just like the survey we saw at the beginning. So many people think that the Bible has just mythology. Uh, My friend's name was Charles. Um, So what do you say to the Charles in your life when he tells you that your faith is blind faith? Well, we're going to answer from 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Once you come to that uh, bit of the Bible, if you have a Bible, you can open it up. This is the chapter in all of the Bible where we learn about the resurrection. Paul is writing to this church in Corinth. He'd been there planting, a church planting pastor about three or four years earlier. He'd been with them for one and a half years and then he'd left. And now as he'd left and another minister had arrived, another pastor had arrived, the people were wavering in their faith about this fundamental of the Christian faith. They were wavering about resurrection. Perhaps somebody smart and skeptical had come and uh, use persuasive arguments to make them question their faith. So listen to what Paul says to his church. He's helping them to remember that they can trust what they know about the resurrection. He says this, Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel that I preached to you, which you received and on which you've taken your stand. For what I received I pass on to you as of first importance. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 1 and 3. Paul creates a chain of knowledge for his listeners. He tells them that uh, the knowledge that they have about the resurrection had come from him directly to them. So Paul says uh, he had received the message himself, verse 3, and then he'd preached that message to the church in Corinth, which they received, verse 1, and they've staked their lives on it. They've staked their eternal lives on it. Paul reminds them that the message they received is trustworthy because Paul himself received it from a trustworthy source. And he's passed it on to them as a matter of first importance. That is, he's been very careful to pass on exactly what he received. This is not a game of telephone. It is careful instruction. And so who did Paul hear the gospel from? Well, he wasn't one of the original disciples, was he? So listen to how Paul received the message. It says here in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 3. For what I received I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Peter, and then to the twelve, and after that he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time, most of whom are still living, uh, although some have fallen asleep. And then he appeared to James, and then to all the apostles. And last of all, he also appeared to me. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 to 8. Paul's chain of knowledge came directly down from Jesus. From Jesus down to Paul, uh, and that was when Jesus appeared to Paul on the road to Damascus. Jesus himself taught this gospel to Paul. And then Paul passed that message onto the church in Corinth. In other words, they can trust the message that Paul has given them, the message that Christ died for sins, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day. 
And it's not only Paul who was an eyewitness to the resurrection. Uh, the risen Jesus had appeared to Peter and the 12 apostles and even to a group of 500 brothers and I assume sisters and children as well. And Paul says at the time of the writing of his letter, you could have gone to Jerusalem and seen and met and talked to any of those 500 people. Some of them had died, they'd fallen asleep, but there were many left who were still alive. That's a lot of witnesses to the resurrected Jesus, isn't it? Um, and you could go there and talk to them. Uh, but my friend Charles would say, well, that's a nice tradition, but when was the letter written? You know, maybe it was written 90 or 100 AD. Well, actually, um, this letter was written within 20 to 25 years of Jesus' death. Um, Paul had established this church in Corinth in 50 AD, and he was there for a year and a half before he left. And then he wrote this letter between 53 and 57 AD. And we can tell that because of historical details in the letter. So it means that Paul was teaching that message, that gospel message of Jesus Christ crucified and resurrected and all to do with sins within 20 to 25 years of Jesus' death. Um, this was a firm and established gospel, uh, not just about the historical facts, but also the reason behind Jesus' death and resurrection, namely the forgiveness of sins according to the scriptures. And this is the gospel that I plan to preach here at Yonville Church, week in and week out. And the gospel of Jesus Christ crucified for our sins and resurrected according to the scriptures. Um, I received the gospel right here in the pages of the scripture. And so what we have recorded in the scripture, Paul's own revelation of the gospel, that's exactly how I've received it and I'm passing it on to you without changing it. Now, we don't believe then that the resurrection was a myth. We believe in a historical event. We believe in a chain of witnesses who've testified to us that they can, so that we can believe what we have not been able to see with our own eyes because we've seen it through their eyes. There are many Charleses in the world and they'll try to undermine our faith with fine-sounding arguments, as it says in Colossians chapter 2. But don't let them. You can believe in the historical resurrection of Jesus even without seeing it for yourself. And you'll be blessed, says Jesus. Um, now, for some of you who are here, perhaps you don't mind that much whether the resurrection even happened. Is it, is it really matter whether Jesus rose from the dead or not? Um, it's great if he did, but does it matter? Um, well, I want to say to you that it really matters that Jesus was resurrected from the dead. Um, because 1 Corinthians 15 tells us that if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then all of our faith, uh, all of the Christian uh, message, the gospel, is a heap of broken dreams. So read with me from uh, 1 Corinthians 12, uh, sorry, verse 12, and we'll see just how comprehensively Christianity crumbles if the resurrection is not true. Paul says, if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is useless. And so is your faith. Paul says the gospel is useless if Christ hasn't been raised. And that's because when you go back to verse 2, the gospel is the way that we are saved because Christ died and he was buried according to the scriptures. And of course, if he hasn't been raised, then we can't trust the gospel, and then the gospel has no power to save. And, and so preaching about the gospel is useless too. It's just blowing air, wind into the air. 
if Christ hasn't believed. In verse 2 it says, if that's all true, that Jesus wasn't risen, then you've believed in vain. It says in verse 14, it says that our faith is in vain too. Because if the gospel is a hoax, then it has no power to save. And our faith in the gospel is just a delusion. Um, so if Jesus wasn't resurrected, the gospel is powerless to save us. It's powerless to do anything for our sins. And that's where the biggest idea comes in out of this passage. It says in verse 17, If Christ hasn't been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. In this chapter, Paul calls death the last enemy. The Bible teaches us that death is not a natural part of life. In fact, it's actually an unwelcome intrusion into the world as a result of sin. Sin brings death. And for each of us, we live under the reign and rule of sin and death. But Jesus' resurrection from the dead, it signaled an end to that reign of sin and death. Jesus' death made an, an atonement. It made us right with God. It made sin finish. Uh, it meant that death no longer has any claim over us if we're in Christ. Um, though we die a mortal death, we can expect to be raised to new life, just like Jesus was, if we have our faith in him. But you see, if Jesus wasn't raised, then the last enemy has not been defeated. Death still reigns over the world. And if Christ hasn't been raised, then we're still accountable for our sins. And so along with everybody who's died, we would face God's reckoning with our sins still in front of us. Uh, Paul says at the end of his little argument, he says, if only for this life we have hope in Christ, then we are to be pitied more than all men. 1 Corinthians 15 verse 19. See, if the Christian project, if the Christian faith, if the Christian life is all a hoax, if Jesus wasn't raised, it's pitiable that we're here. But Christ has been raised Verse 20, but Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. You see, Jesus has been raised. And because he has been raised, we have the answer to our questions about what happens when we die. At Jesus' resurrection, it was the first fruits. It was the forerunner. It was the early proof of our own resurrection to eternal life if we, ally if we align our lives to his. You see, the resurrection takes the sting out of death when we know it means that death is not the end for us. In fact, the very last book of the Bible paints a picture of the new heavens and the new earth. And, and it's a bit of a, um, a picture of uh, the afterlife, a dreamlike picture. I don't think God wants to ruin all of the surprise for when we get there. But it's very clear about one thing. Heaven is a place where there is no more death and no more mourning, no more crying and no more tears. Uh, the pain of the loss of our loved ones, the pain of broken relationships, uh, the pain of decaying bodies, uh, all the pain that comes from life this side of heaven, well, that will all be gone on the day that we open our eyes and we get to see and feel and touch our own resurrected bodies, our own flesh that has been raised imperishable for eternal life. It'll be quite something, won't it? That's the hope that we want to share in the Napa Valley and beyond, uh, this hope of new life in Jesus Christ. Not, not just a life in the future, but in fact, that life is brought to us even now uh, in the presence of Jesus, a life where we look forward to the future by living the resurrection now. Uh, but that's something I'm going to talk about in my sermon next week.
all summer long we've been talking about what it means to return. And uh, the greatest return story of all time is the resurrection of Jesus. But do you know what? We also will return one day if our faith is in Jesus. We too will return and be resurrected and find our life in him for all of eternity. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for this promise of eternal life, this promise of a new body and a new life beyond death. And we thank you for Jesus' resurrection. And we pray that we would trust those witnesses to believe what we've not been able to see with our own eyes. Father, give us great hope of life beyond death. Give us great hope for this lifetime too. And Father, may we hold out that hope of life in Jesus Christ in the Napa Valley and beyond. For his glory we pray. Amen.